Lots of buzzing over the last 24 hours about social distancing rules for dogs and cats, especially because no one we know of has been infected by a dog or a cat. Some coronavirus news is silly. Not all, though, and that's what we talk about on This Week in the CLE, the Cleveland.com podcast. I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn with colleagues Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, and Chris Wernowski. Are you all worried about dogs and cats? No, <laughs> not at all. I like to pet other people's dogs, so it kind of bums me out. Yeah, you can't I, do that now. My dog doesn't like other dogs, so he's going to be, he's been social distancing for 15 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he's good. All right, let's talk masks. Why did Ohio Governor Mike DeWine back off the requirement that people in the workplace wear coronavirus masks? On Monday, when he announced his plan to reopen the state, masks were mandatory for customers, people returning to the workplace. Tuesday, not so much. State House Editor Jane Cahoon, what happened? Well, we, we're kind of getting whiplash trying to keep up with his position on this. He now says that wearing masks is a recommendation for customers, not mandatory. Um, but he kind of went a couple ways on this. Dur during the, his Tuesday briefing, he said they were optional for workers and it would be up to employers whether to require them for workers. But then the governor's office later said that they'd be largely required for workers with exception, with some exceptions. So anyway, he said all this after his announcement on Monday, I, I guess he got a lot of blowback. Uh, people told him this was offensive to, to require this. So he decided that government was not going to force this on people. And he mentioned he heard from a mother with a child with autism who, who said that wearing a mask would be really difficult for her child. He used that as one example. But anyway, he basically said, we listen to people. And so that's why he did this about face. Yeah, and he said something like it for government, it was a step too far. But, you know, people did not want to wear seatbelts when those requirements started, but they still had to wear them. It was about public safety. And actually, unlike this, you know, that was an individual safety. Masks are for the communal good. I'm kind of stunned that he caved on this. Yeah, especially since they put so much thought into this whole plan. I mean, this is one of the few times during this crisis that the governor has looked a little bit wishy-washy, I think. Um, but he did, you know, emphasize that they're strongly recommending that, that everybody wear masks. Has there been that much blowback on the masks? I mean, a poll that Baldwin-Wallace University did this week showed that most people in Ohio take this pandemic pretty seriously and support the many restrictions that have been instituted. You see people wearing the masks everywhere. I mean, how much pushback could he actually have received? I don't know. I, I suspect a lot of it came from that big six uh, group of uh, business groups that that have been kind of a little more than gently pressuring him about about getting the economy going again. I, I suspect some of it came from that direction. But it's in their best interest to have people wear masks because if people don't wear masks, they get sick and then the workforce gets hurt. I, I, I'm just, you know, he hasn't made that many significant confusing missteps. I mean, the way he canceled and postponed the election was one. This seems like his second major bungling. I, I just, this one, yeah, I, I would not, agree. I'm having a hard time following it. Um, I, I, you know, we were talking yesterday and there was some speculation that maybe he's heard tell that there'd be a lawsuit, the civil liberties kind of lawsuit 
and that he didn't really want to go through that. Or maybe the attorney general said he'd have a hard time defending him on that. So he's leaving it to the employers. But, you know, he could have said that if that's the case. <laughs> right. Well, well, and this is Chris Warnowski. We, you know, we talked about this when when it came to his decision not to close down churches. You know, it's it's it, my my suspicion is is that somebody somewhere contacted him and said, "Hey, look, you can't get in the business of telling Ohioans that they have to go out and buy something and then they have to wear it." And you know, as as idealistic as we want the government to be, I, I just, I don't think he's, he's, he wants to have that court fight. You know, if you want to talk about the perception that this is the first time that he's been wishy-washy or slipped on something, it, it's, you know, if he wants to maintain the profile that he's getting in places like the New York times and stuff like that, you know, getting dragged into court and beaten up over something like this by a bunch of quote unquote patriots is probably not, you know, probably not the best thing to do. Plus people might point out that, you know, Governor Mike DeWine, you know, dictating what people should do with their health care and their bodies is probably a little ironic. Although we do we are a society that makes people wear pants and women wear shirts. <laughs> so I don't think it's ridiculous to say you have to don a mask, but anyway, it's uh, it was a surprise the waffling on this and as Jane said it was whiplash because by day's end and almost like it was he was reasserting parts of it. Anyway, it's this week in the CLE from Cleveland.com. Is the Ohio unemployment system working better? We hear all the time from people frustrated with the system. We hear regularly from Lieutenant Governor John Houston that the system is handling a lot of people and building capacity. And said it again yesterday, they continue to build capacity. It can be hard to tell where the truth is, but on Tuesday, we got our own window into this. Chris Wernowski, you'll be taking a week of furlough soon. So you went on to register. Please describe your experience. Well, my experience is, is I really don't want to take a furlough. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be taking it next week. And and so I decided to sort of dip my toe and see what the unemployment system is like. And and so I, I logged onto the website and, you know, and, and the first few parts are very easy. You take a little quiz that, you know, determines whether or not you are likely to qualify and whether you should apply or not. So you answer some cursory questions and then it sends you to a place where you enter your name, your birth date and your social security number. So I did all of that. And then I clicked on the button uh, and there was an error. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, so I refreshed the screen, went back and tried to do it again and it told me that I needed a, I needed to reset my pin, which would be fine if I had received a pin. I had not received any <laughs> any. I hadn't set up any password. The only thing I'd set up was the the hint question to get my pin if I forgot it. So I here I'd set up what you know school I went to for the first time, and 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 so it told me like okay you need to uh, reset the pin. So I started the process of resetting the pin. So I entered my social security number, my information, and then it asked me for my driver's license number, which I was like, okay, this is going to go nowhere because nowhere in this process have I entered my driver's license number. But I did it and I got to the end of this process and it goes, uh, you need to call the hotline. So I'm like, all right, I'll call the hotline. 
And so I call the hotline and then I had to enter in my social security number, my date of birth, my, uh, my driver's license number. Uh, and then it told me call back later. So, so it's a call back later because there were too many people too many waiting. People, oh, the call volume and et cetera, et cetera. So, so in the end, you, you did not get registered. You were frustrated. Oh no, I, I suspect that the lion's share of my, my time next week is going to be trying to get through to the unemployment office to do this. And so, you know, it, it boggles my mind that we are this deep into this and they, they still haven't figured this out. And well, they keep claiming, I mean, every time it came up yesterday, they keep claiming we got this. And then they Houston proudly names how many or gives the number of people serve. But you, this was just. The first step, and yeah. you were blocked at every turn. I mean, it was, you couldn't have made it more cartoonishly comical. <laughs> it was the first, the first thing I filled out, and it just, error. And, and it was not my internet. It was not my browser. It was not my computer. It was that website. And, and so, you know, and I, I mean, look, I'm one person. Thousands of people are experiencing the same thing here. And, and so, you know, to, I, I think, you know, we've seen his, we've seen the Lieutenant Governor's frustration in discussing this, you know, in, in these press conferences and, and, you know, I'm sure he's tired of talking about it, but, but, yeah, but there's they're not a problem it. and there's people's livelihoods on the line here. And there's, and then there's people that were told, you know, we're going to make you whole and it hasn't happened. So, yeah, I mean, you know, do you, do you think, do you get the feeling that they're just paying lip service? I mean. You know, if if Mike DeWine wanted to solve this problem, you know, I mean, he brought in two former governors to find PPE. You know, d couldn't he assemble a task force that once and for all fixes it? I mean, you, you're right. It's a deep end. We're two months into this, really. And, and you can't even get you can't get past really the first screen. Well, and I, you know, I mean, look, we're we're at where we're at. I mean, whoever they hire to create this website, whatever they've, whatever people they have put in charge of this. I mean, this is just, this is just another example of why people, people don't buy into the promise of what, you know, the government should be doing. So, you know, my hope out of all of this, and, and this is for everybody in the state and, and people who are experiencing this in, in other states. I mean, it's way worse in Florida where. I mean, that system has been just decimated by years of neglect and actual malice toward unemployment. Right. You know? So my hope is that when when we come on when we come out on the other side of this and whatever the world looks like, that that not we don't decimate these systems in times where it's not necessary. That we create a system that has the capacity to deal with with an onslaught this big. And we leave it untouched. We don't we don't cut it when we're trying to make the government leaner and trying to cut taxes or we're trying right. to, you know, to make sure that we don't have to cut other things. This is a safety net is there. It's not just for people who are, you know, lazy and don't want to work, which is the narrative that most of us have heard most of our lives. It's it is for people who need to eat need and need All to right. pay rent and pay their bills. So right. let's, well, let's, have a, let's have that. Let's have when, that. When you get back from your furlough week, I'll be interested to hear what your experience was in trying to get it fixed. Although if they pay attention to this podcast, they'll make sure you have a clear <laughs> sale. I don't care about me. 
Like that's like it's well, it's, well you actually you do I care, do, about but, you, but, but right, no, no, no right, I get so. it, I get it. The reason we're talking about it is because we've heard all sides, but now we've had first person experience and it did not go well. It's this week in the CLE. Is insurance covering the lost income of businesses that were forced to close by Governor Mike DeWine's coronavirus restrictions? We're seeing lawsuits now from businesses that say they paid insurance premiums for years in case something like a pandemic happened, but their insurance companies won't pay. Chris Ranowski, what are some of the businesses that are suing? It's starting in sort of the restaurants and the clubs and and stuff like that. Um, The latest we got was from a very popular Cleveland Heights restaurant called Nighttown. And they are suing the Cincinnati Insurance Company and are hoping to get class action status on this lawsuit uh, because the insurance company said that the loss that the company experienced during the governor's stay-at-home order was not covered because the virus did not result in physical damage to the property. So, you know, the restaurant filed this lawsuit on Friday and asked the judge to order the company to cover the claims related to the virus. And and they're basically saying, you know, these restaurants and, and businesses have paid their premiums for years and years and years. And now that they need it, the insurance company's not there. This is so, business interruption insurance? Yes, it is business interruption insurance. But this is... So- uh, this is a song and dance we hear all the time. This this happens with insurance companies. and Although this is a little different, right? Because mm-hmm. insurance is based on issues not being global. Everyone in a floodplain pays flood insurance, but not every fl- river floods at the same time. So the premiums can cover the people who are damaged each year. It's a federal insurance program. This pandemic is national, international. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a few restaurants in Cleveland Heights that are closed. They're all closed. Right. So so is it is it fair to expect an insurance company to cover all that? Won't they go bankrupt because it kind of flies in the face of how insurance works? I I mean it might, but I mean what is insurance if not to insure you during these times? You know, I don't I don't think you're gonna see a lot of tear shed for those poor insurance companies. <laughs> I mean this I mean this is this is legitimately the only reason your business exists is to do this. And so, you know, my guess, if if I had to speculate where the end of this is, I mean, there's going to be, I mean, this will be pretty bad for the insurance industry. I'm sure there's a lot of sweating going on at a lot of levels when, because I mean, we really haven't, we haven't gotten to the, the hard, like the very hard financial part of this yet. You know, I think, I think we're getting there, but you know, so I, I think as that starts to, you know, if, if if reopening the world does not result in businesses at least making money and making ends meet, I, I you know, you're going to start seeing more and more of these lawsuits. And I mean, I think already, I think Mitchell's and the Marble Room and the St. Clair Ballroom, they've all sued the same company. And and we've had, you know, a bridal shop in Menor is also suing a different insurance company. So I, I think, you know, at some point you're going to see the insurance industry maybe go to the government and say, hey, you know, we're either going to collapse or you're going to have to help us out. And there's right. some, they precedent. Go bankrupt, there's they some can't precedent. Pay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, th- and there's precedent for that. And I think that will, you know, I think that'll honk people off when you start seeing how much executives make and, you know, how much money they have on hand and what, and, and all this stuff. So, you know, this is, you know, we, we experience this in the recession. Not like it, this. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not, I mean, this is very, this is very different. And, but, but at the same time, it's like, 
you know, if insurance companies are going to do that, that old thing where they go, well, you had business interruption insurance, but you didn't pay the $5 to get the pandemic premium. You know, I mean, they, you know, mm-hmm. that's you actually, know. actually, I think, I think pandemics are covered in that insurance. Look, you can understand why they're hot, right? They pay the insurance premium year after year because they know they need protection. And then the insurance company shafts them. You'd be seeing red. It's this week in the CLE. What is it like working in a coronavirus hospital ward? Metro Health gave our photographer, Josh Gunter, special access to get pictures of the people on the front lines of this war, the doctors and nurses treating those who are most sick. Reporter Emily Bamforth talked to some of them. Laura Johnston, first the photos. What do they show? A lot of blue plastic. There's blue plastic gowns. Everyone's face is covered with clear plastic shields. They all have N95 masks on. They wear hairnets and they have gloves over their blue scrubs. What did Josh describe? He wrote up some stuff from his experience. And what did the doctors and nurses tell Emily when she called them later? They said it's completely unpredictable. The science is always changing. The patients are always changing. They present challenges and symptoms different from anything these doctors have seen before. And they can deteriorate really quickly within hours. So they require a lot of monitoring, but doctors and nurses don't want to keep going in there into the rooms because of all of the required protection. So they check on each other to make sure they've got all their protective equipment on when they go in and they do everything they need to at the one time they're in there so they don't keep going in and out. They're so into this work. Some of them even dream about it. When they go home, all they want to do is like veg in front of a funny TV show. They can't listen to the news um, just to kind of unwind. Because they want to escape. COVID-19 and yeah, it's all over it's the everywhere. news. Yeah. It's all we talk about. <laughs> it is I, true. I'm glad we finally got a vision of what it's like. It was one of the things I felt really were was missing in the coverage. The hospitals were like Fort Knox just shuttered to everybody and and that's kind of the the ground zero and it really did hit me how how the camouflage of this war is grocery store plastic shopping bag blue. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of blue. It, it really, I when reading the story, I was just struck by how dedicated these workers are. I mean, they're devoting every part of their life to this right now. They're risking their lives in some respect, and they have a really a team approach. So hats off to them. Well, check out those pictures. They're, they're pretty terrific. It's this week in the CLE. Can Ohio schools hold formal graduations in spite of the coronavirus? The answer to this one is a surprise, Jane Cahoon. Yeah, this surprised me, too. Uh, Governor Mike DeWine said that schools could hold graduations if they could do the proper social distancing. And this was just the opposite of what the Ohio Department of Education had told schools that last week they told them that ceremonies really should be held remotely instead of in person. I, I, I just don't get this. I mean, he's banned gatherings of more than 10 people. How do you stage a graduation with no more than 10 people? Well, apparently there's one school near Toledo that's already come up with a plan to, I guess, send in each student with their family, you know, one by one to go up on the stage. And then they all leave before the next family comes in. Like in an empty gym and just <laughs> off the stage? I guess so. This is Laura Johnston. There are still some schools that are hoping these rules get relaxed. And so instead of having 
a graduation ceremony at the end of classes in June. I know Rocky River is hoping for the very end of July. Um, and they've said it's all dependent, but they are going to have a car parade, you know, because I feel like the only way to celebrate anything anymore is to get everybody in cars and drive around and honk. <laughs> so that's yeah. yeah, but that's not what he was talking about. No, yesterday. It's not. I mean, it's so, not. so Jane, did he did he offer any guidance on how you can stage a graduation without violating social distancing no he just kind of suggested there they would have to figure out how to do this and if they could figure out a way you know they could do it but he pretty much acknowledged that bigger schools would would not be able to pull this off so uh, why make the exception for this and not weddings let's face it when it comes to the big moments of your life high school graduation Mm -hmm. is something weddings are kind of an order of magnitude bigger well, I, I'm not sure what to conclude about this, except that he did mention that as a parent and grandparent to like a bazillion kids, <laughs> he, he knows how important graduations are. So maybe he's got like a soft spot on graduations. I don't know. Maybe he'll let the weddings go if they can. I mean, the idea of how to socially distance all of these people is impossible anyway. So maybe if anybody can figure out how to do any ceremony, they should just let us all know. I want to see the socially distanced dance floor at a wedding. That, <laughs> that, that would be that would be Not fascinating. Leave room for Jesus anymore. It's leave room for the coronavirus. This just seems so arbitrary. He has a soft spot for state fairs, too. Is he going to open those and say, yeah, keep, keep the cows apart? He likes parades, too. So, you know. Yeah, it's a strange one. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. Do dogs and cats need social distancing? The fascination with pets and the coronavirus is unabated. We've talked about whether you can get the coronavirus from a dog or a cat. No one has, we believe. We've been asked if you can get it from dog hair. Unlikely. But now the CDC says you should social distance your dogs and cats anyway. Laura Johnston, why? Because two domestic cats and a pug... Uh, dog apparently have come down with COVID-19. So the CDC says to keep them away from other pets and other people. Walk your dog on a leash. Don't take him to the dog park and keep your outdoor cat indoors. But isn't this strike anybody (laughs) as kind of ridiculous? I mean, forcing a cat to social distance, they pretty much do whatever they want. And when dogs go for walks, they sniff pretty much anything left behind by another dog. Droppings, wet spots, anything So even if you're keeping them away from other dogs, they've got their noses all over what what has been left by other dogs. What's the point of this, especially when no one has gotten the virus from a pet? I have no idea. But if you're walking your dog, you should be staying six feet away from other people anyway. So, yeah, it all seems kind of moot knowing what dogs get into. Doesn't this raise the possibility that people will abandon their pets at fear? Look at how many people called poison hotlines after the president idiotically suggested people in, uh, ingest bleach or inject themselves with bleach. Um, that probably is a threat. But right now, there are so many people working from home who would probably want to adopt those pets. It's incredibly hard to find a dog to adopt right now. One of our reporters applied for a rescue who had been up online advertised for about an hour, and there were already six applicants. So, so if people want to give up their pets because of the coronavirus, there's probably a line. To take them. Chris Warnowski is Sherman social distancing. Yeah, he's uh, just you know spending most of his time lying in the window sill like an old man. He just he lies in the sun. But it's a uh, every time we go out, it, he's always been kind of a loner anyway. So he kind of just he doesn't have much to 
uh, offer other dogs. He doesn't like interacting with other. He's he's a lot like me. Like he goes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it. So, so, so yes, yeah, like so, that might be rude. So when we go to the dog park, I'm like standing with my back to everybody, looking at my phone, and he's, he's <laughs> sort of like wandering out. But it's, I mean, look, it, you really you shouldn't be allowing your dog to like run up quickly to other dogs anyway. I mean. It like I, I had an experience in my building where a pit bull, this was not like two weeks ago where a pit bull, like a woman was standing right in front of the elevator when the door opened with this dog that she could not control. And he lunged into the elevator and attacked my dog. I had to get between my little miniature pincher and this giant golden pit bull. And that is bad dog handling. You know, and that is really bad social distancing. Like, hey, as a human, you shouldn't be standing right in front of the elevator door with your unmasked face and your giant dog that you can't control. So, you know, this is this is a lesson that people should be taking away from owning a dog anyway, which is dogs have behavior that that a lot of especially new dog owners don't understand. So all these people who are adopting dogs who think it's okay to just let their dog run up to another dog. That's bad anyway. Like I hadn't thought about the elevator, though. Can you can you even social distance in your elevator? I tell people to take the next one. I mean, look, we have medical professionals who live in my building, people who don't wear masks, stuff like that. And my rule is, if you're not wearing a mask, you're not getting into this confined space. So <laughs> I can take, take them. And it, look, man, people get like, what's your problem? And it's like, my problem is I would like to live a long life. And, yeah. you know, I, I mean, I dealt with it this morning. It, you know, you go down... It, it, and this is a, you know, I mean, there's like 60 people living in this building right now. And I I would say probably a quarter of them to maybe half of them have dogs. And so, you know, we have a lot of busy dog traffic and, wow. and you see a lot of bad habits with people. So, you know, we laugh about like social distancing, remove the coronavirus from it. Like there are a ton of responsible dog owners here. My friend's a dog trainer and he gets a ton of business in this building. Just I recommend him and he people hire him. And, and it's like... It, You'd be amazed at how many people get these animals and then don't realize you have to put work in to teach them good habits. And 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 really, their bad habits are a reflection of you. Okay. So, All right. It's this week in the CLE. What happened in Tuesday's Ohio election, which was postponed for March 17th because of the coronavirus? Jane Cahoon, what are the key takeaways? Well, you'll be shocked to learn that Joe Biden won the Democratic contest for president in Ohio. He walked away with about 72 percent of the vote in the unofficial count. Bernie Sanders had about 17 percent. But, you know, Bernie and the nine other candidates. Well, I'm sorry, there was a total of 10 candidates. You know, Biden was the only one who hadn't suspended his campaign. In case anybody really cares, Elizabeth Warren came in third. Michael Bloomberg (laughs) came in fourth. Pete Buttigieg, fifth, and Amy Klobuchar, sixth. And then all the state's congressional incumbents um, who had opposition easily made it through their primaries. And in November, we're going to have the last election with these egregiously gerrymandered congressional districts. Uh, No huge surprises in the state legislature, generally a good day for incumbents. And in Cuyahoga County, the health and human services issue passed overwhelmingly. Although the Cleveland school tax, Cleveland Heights school tax went down uh, right. probably because people were worried about the finances of the uh, coronavirus. Were there problems with the all mail-in election, which replaced what we were going to have March 17th? Did a lot of people show up at elections boards to vote in person because they were confused? 
Yeah, some did. I, this depends on who you talk to. I think Secretary of State Frank LaRose thinks things probably went pretty well, but a, a voter rights people are saying it was chaotic and confusing for voters. Apparently, a number of people showed up, uh, including many who had not requested a mail-in ballot. The, the in-person option was supposed to be for people who had submitted a ballot request, but the ballot didn't show up in the mail in time. But I think some boards were letting people vote anyway, regardless of whether they had requested a ballot. And those are all provisional votes. So they did not show up in the unofficial count last night. And they're going to have to decide later whether whether those votes uh, count or not. Okay. This week in the CLE, going to have to leave it there. We're going to talk about restaurants, but we'll have to leave that for tomorrow because we have run out of time. That's That's okay to have topics for the next day. We'll just leave it there. Thanks to Jane, Chris, and Laura, and thank you for listening. This week in the CLE, we'll return tomorrow. 